kicks off tonight episode 136 kings of the podcast dennis bernstein did you ever think we would be doing season four of this project when we first launched it oh it feels like a lifetime ago dennis uh, john i never thought we'd get to episode two so yes <laughs> I, I never thought that we get to season four 136 episodes that's amazing and again like i've said a couple of times when i posted the uh the ratings for uh, the show, uh, we're nowhere without the fans. So it's just uh, a testament to uh, obviously the content we produce, but certainly the, the law of France and listeners that we have. Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, look, we want to take a quick moment uh, along those lines, DB, and say thank you to all of the uh, many, many guests. Um, even if I named a few, I'm sure I would miss many people. We've yeah. had a full array of guests from celebrities. You know, we've had musicians. We've had uh, all sorts of random people as well as many uh, people connected to the LA Kings, both players, coaches, GMs, you know, former players, greats, etc. Uh, it's been outstanding. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to continue with that tradition tonight. We have Nate Thompson, who is a a former and perhaps a future member of the LA Kings. So that's kind of a weird deal, right? He played for the Kings once upon a time. Uh, he was traded away, and now he is back in training camp on a PTO. So we'll talk about that. He'll join us in the second period. We have a lot to cover today as well, DB. We have a true-false segment that uh, received some traction on Twitter, so we'll get after that in the third period. Some breaking news uh, I'll share with you tonight. I've been sitting on this. I was about to tweet it, DB, and then I said, no, I'm going to save it for the podcast, uh, which you always warn me against, but I, I'm gonna, yes. I, I did it today. <laughs> I saved the news, so I have some reverse retro news. I have Great. some uh, jersey uh, patch helmet decals, uh, you oh, know, beautiful, all sorts of stuff. Skate lace sponsors. I have all sorts of great stuff, uh, <laughs> that I'll share in the third period. Let's first welcome everybody to the program. Like I said, season four, episode 136. We are coming to you live from the Davis Drew Whiskey studio. Now, DB, the um, episodes that we did over the summer. I'll admit, I forgot. I messed up. I yep. forgot to give out the name of the studio, which our wonderful listeners uh, called me out for. So welcome to the Davis <laughs> Drew Whiskey Studio. Whiskey, yes. Look, it's off-season for everybody in the summertime. So, you know, you had your off-season, took a vacation. Now, you know, that's starting season four. We're back at it. Now, you, you see, to show how out of practice we are, you, you didn't even bother to ask me what the connection was, why Davis drew whiskey. And um, what I would tell you is a couple of things. Number one, he wore number 44 as a member of the L.A. Kings. We'll do numerology a little bit later, but uh, that's the connection to Nate Thompson. Of course, he wore 44 right. when he was in Los Angeles. But there's also some other connections. Both of these guys uh, played for the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, which is the AHL affiliate 
uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers. Both played for head coach Scott Gordon. And by the way, uh, Gordon, when he was back in the, uh, I think it was the IHL, the Atlanta Knights, he had a number of former Kings there, including Bob Halkidis, uh, Craig Redman, who I think we named the program out of the studio after once before, mm-hmm. former first-round draft pick of the LA Kings, as well as Craig Brown, who was a ninth-round draft pick back in 1991 the ninth round doesn't even exist anymore so a lot of random la kings trivia db let's bring it into the year 2022 la kings training camp kicked off earlier today a lot of people want to talk to drew dowdy you talked to jonathan quick as well uh asked the what could be the multi-million dollar maybe it's only a million i'm not sure question uh jq do you want to come back and play another year so tell us what he had to say dennis he said that's the plan and he didn't hesitate so he says i said this is your last – first of all, 16 seasons. He's starting his 16th season, which he says, you know, it goes fast, but it doesn't go fast. And then I just point blank. I said, this is your last con- – this is the last year in your contract. You want to play past this contract? He goes, that's the plan. Didn't hesitate. Didn't didn't qualify. So the expectation is that he wants to not do a farewell tour. Um, and, may, and maybe it changes time with health and performance, whatever. But the plan is to play – past this season, uh, wherever it may be. Yeah, it's interesting. No farewell tour. And for anybody that's ever, even if you don't know Jonathan Quick or you only know him through tweets and the media and whatnot, by now you should have figured out after 16 seasons he's not the type of player that wants a farewell (laughs) tour, much like a Dustin Brown. So uh, this could just be a giant swerve, like you said, DB. At the end of the year, he could change his mind. Depending how the Kings season goes, that could also play into it. His, His playing time could play into it. Uh, we did, of course, talk with Todd McClellan on the last program about Jonathan Quick versus Cal Peterson. Uh, he, he, of course, did not give us a starting goaltender for night one. We're still we're still a ways away uh, from that. But uh, what what else? What, what were some of the other nuggets, you know, sort of surrounding the L.A. Kings team today at training camp? And here's here's my other question, D.B. Yeah. Was it noticeable? And I know for you and I, it would be because of the way that we think of 23. But was it noticeable that Dustin Brown was not there today or Will that be more noticeable as the camp wears on and that, you know, just the fever pitch that day one can bring? Did that sort of get lost in the shuffle a little? It, it did get lost in the shuffle, although Drew and Andre were asked about not having Dustin there. I, I think because of the setup, John, because they took four selected players, like there was two groups. So you had Kopitar and Kempe and Byfield and, and one of the, I, I forget the, the fourth player, was in one scrum after one group practiced. And then the other group was Drew Doughty and Trevor Moore and uh, Deneau and uh, Quick. So I I think where it sinks in is when the group shortens, cuts are made, and everybody's in one room and that corner stall is not occupied by Dustin. I I think that's when it sinks in. I think particularly it probably sinks in opening night when he's not there. So while it's, it's been discussed, guys, of course, say he's missed and you know, his leadership was something that uh, they all cherish and they cherish. You know, here's the thing. Drew Daddy said he's not only a, he was not only like a brother to me, he's more like a father to me, Yeah, which was, you know, Drew was that that was kind of forthcoming. So I think the true impact is, is when the games are real and there's only one group, it's 23 guys and Dustin's not in that corner. Uh, I think that's what I'm thinking for the players. For us, it's already sinked in because Dustin, you know, will chirp, whatever he's. And the one thing, John, about both Kopi and Drew, as much as we love them, um, they don't—they still don't want the media in the room. Like both of them made a point to say, like I said to Drew, the first question I just walked—I said, "Did you miss us?" 
He goes, no, not really. Yeah, I don't not really. really. <laughs> say, yeah. And Kobe goes, I wish the COVID rules were still in place. So, but um, I, I think once the season, and I think it's more impactful, John, that first losing streak, whenever it might come, where a guy like Dustin may not, you know, make some big speech and stamp in the room, but certainly, you know, his steady hand would certainly help this team. So, um, not yet because there's 68 guys or 63 guys around. 63, yeah. And it's a, yeah, and it's the first day. But I think as it lengthens, and like I said, as the roster shortens, I think you'll see that more of an impactful um, uh, that he's missing uh, at, at that point and not just today. Yeah, I, I like the point that you just made there, DB, because, you know, as media, obviously it's different than for the players in the room or for the coaching staff or even for the fans. But it's when there is a losing streak, he's always been that steady influence that's been there, right? It's like he's... He's always been there through thick and thin. Yeah. When, when there's nobody else in the room, you could still typically count on, you know, being able to talk to Dustin Brown or, or you know, Kopitar as well. But we're talking about 23 right now. So uh, it, it is going to be interesting because we didn't get that farewell tour. We didn't get the whole season to talk about yeah. him and the impact and, and all that. You know, it was just uh, it was isolated to really just a week or so uh, at right. the end of the season, because I think Todd was right when he said this. You saw that sort of lull in Brown's, you know, play or whatever. But come playoff time, and we commented about it last year during the mm-hmm. playoffs. Playoff Dustin Brown was back. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin Brown in the playoffs last year against Edmonton was not playing playing it out like he was just, you know, playing the back nine on a, on a terrible, uh, uh, you know, day of golf. He, he was right. really leaving it all out there, and it was vintage Dustin Brown. So. Uh, it will be interesting as the season wears along. So let, let's, think, uh, let's yeah. Continue. I also think John just, but um, also with respect to the end of last season, like it wasn't like the team was out of contention, and you knew that the final, like when when Luke's last game, like you knew when it was because they were out of contention. They were like they made the playoffs, and everybody was focused on the playoffs. So you really didn't know when Dustin's game last won. It wasn't right. going to be eighty two. It could have been eighty four. Right. Could have well, not eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. So. So sort of, there wasn't really that finality when he announced it, and then it was just over. They lost Game Seven. He was the last one off the ice. Everybody paid you know tribute to him. So I, I think part of it didn't lend itself towards that farewell tour because you didn't really know. You could have had a farewell tour for the last ten games if they were out of contention, but everybody's focused, and even yeah. Dustin's were on the playoffs. No, you're absolutely right. It's a good it's a good reference because I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you're right. I remember there was the last home game for Luke. Then we all right. went up to San Jose San for Jose. the final, yeah. final game. Uh, you know, it yeah, it's just it was a totally totally and maybe that's what it was. Maybe subconsciously that's that's sort of the retirement that I was thinking of that that didn't get to take place with Dustin Brown. But again, I started this out by saying, let's look forward. So uh, I, I apologize to myself for even asking the question. That doesn't make any sense, Dennis, but that's what I'm going with. Um, okay. Back to the future. Uh, you mentioned Quentin Byfield, number 55. Yeah. A lot of eyes on him this year. A lot of expectations on him this year. Uh, I, I had remarked at the rookie tournament how different he looked. He just physically looked different another mm-hmm. summer of working out and that sort of thing. Did you pick up on the same thing today uh, and just sort of any takeaways from day one with QB? Not physically, but I think mentally. John, he knows it's time. He knows mm-hmm. it's go time. And I asked him, I said, do, do you know, like, do you now have to produce more than you produced last season? He goes, I've been an offensive player everywhere I've been. Right. Mm-hmm. But he mentioned the intricacies of the game about getting more time and space, about being more physical, like holding on to the pucker for a beat more. So he, he knows. And that's the one impression I got, because look, in a perfect world, and Todd mentioned this about playing 15 to 18 minutes in a perfect world, I think he'd want 
Kobe 18 minutes, Phil 18 minutes, maybe, you know, Q 15 to 17. But he knows because the, the players that were drafted around him, I'm not comparing, I'm not saying anything else about, you know, what he's are producing now. And I think he, so he knows, he, he understands that. And with Kopitar and Deneau there, there's not that inherent pressure. Like he, mm-hmm. he can come in, play 15 minutes, but he knows that five goals and five assists in 40 games, that's not good enough. He knows it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that his approach, I, I think, John, you saw a more physically developed player. I see a more serious player. Uh, yeah. I think that, that, that he talked to himself, I'm sure, over the summer, but I'm sure the organization and the leadership and, and the management have said, hey, it, it's time. So I, I think he understands that it's a, a really pivotal season for him. Not that he needs to be a 30-goal, 30-assist guy, but he can't be a five-goal, five-assist guy either. Yeah, the message that the organization has been preaching to him was, was clearly understood, uh, and he acted upon it because the way that he played in that rookie tournament, and I think Marco talked about it when I spoke with him, uh, saying something to the effect of, you know, it didn't show up on the score sheet. Uh, but the, or maybe it was Todd when I asked. I don't remember exactly who. Um, but mm-hmm. th- the point was in that third period of that one game where he was making that power move and where he was the puck possession. And like you said, he was physically engaged more. That doesn't mean fighting people. That just means he was physically engaged more in the play. You definitely noticed that. And that's the mental part of the game, right? That's not that's not goals and assists. Um, right. So that, that part is interesting. Uh, Trevor Moore, I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about Trevor Moore throughout the season, really for two reasons, DB. Um, number one, he's going to be looked at to see if last season was a fluke. Can he repeat mm-hmm. that magic with Deneau? And together, can they create some magic with uh, somebody on yeah. the right side while everybody waits for 33 to show up? Yeah. We'll get to that. So that's one th- uh, aspect of Trevor Moore. And the other part is just the contract situation. Where do you go with a guy like Trevor Moore yeah. who, you know, <laughs> I know some people don't like it when I say he was the throw-in, but he was in that trade, and he certainly has become far more important than that when you look at his play last season, especially in the second half. But there's going to be a lot of eyes on Trevor Moore this year. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's quietly a story that's bubbling under the surface that's probably going to explode from about game 20 on one way or the other, Dennis. He's either going to come out of the gates and everyone's going to be like, wow, last year wasn't a fluke, or he's going to come out mm-hmm. much slower, and then those questions will start to creep in and how he reacts will determine what happens in the, you know, the, the, the final two-thirds of the season. But uh, any takeaways from... Number 12, Thousand Oaks native, by the way, Dennis. Don't know if that was mentioned yeah. today at, at camp or not, but no. he's from Thousand Oaks. Yeah, I think somebody did mention it, John. I think mentioned him at least once. Okay, so <laughs> I, I think that – and today you had uh, Fajimo on the right side with uh, Moore and, and Deneau. You're going to have right wing to roulette, right? Tomorrow when we walk the – it's going to be a different guy. Maybe it's Kaliev. Maybe it's Velarde. Uh, but no question, and Tom made it clear – that when RV returns and he's still a bit away, it's going to be more to know Arvidsson without question. He, he believes in it, right? He is a, he's all in on that. So I, I think that I, I don't know. I, I think that look, John. Here's the deal: from January first on, that was the top line, production wise, um, and, and let this led this team to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Now you hope it's different because now you've got two thirty goal scorers playing with Andre. But this, so I expect more of the same from Trevor Moore because he's comfortable. He doesn't have to prove himself. Maybe to some people he does, but in the combination with those two players, with 24 and 33, he fits perfectly. So there's no reason for why he can't build off or just at least hold steady and not regress from a production standpoint. And given the way he plays his game, I don't think so. I don't think he overachieved, John, because he, he's not some, you know, he's, he didn't shoot 25%. Like his numbers were 
like in line with the type of player he was. He just got lifted by playing with two talented players. And I expect more to see from Trevor this season. Yeah, it was all there was also uh consistency. So right. So oh, yes, when no you, question. you can't you can't fake it for that long on a consistent no, basis. You can, no. you know, you, you can get hot on a road trip or you can get hot for a sure. couple of weeks, maybe a month, but he was very consistent, like you said. Uh, from January 1st on let's let's decouple a little bit of what you just talked about there, because I think it's worth spending a few minutes on um, number one. There is something that could be somebody, I should say, that could be pushing Trevor more. And that if he doesn't get off to a hot start uh, and, and Todd has to mix things up a little bit. And that's Alex Iafalo, who mm-hmm. he slotted on the third line. We've had him there yep. all summer in our projections for the opening night roster. I have followed playing with Byfield and Kaliev, and there's a component from a coaching and management standpoint that they like Alex Iafalo as the quote-unquote veteran on that line. But if need be, Iafalo could be bumped up. And from what I understand, Iafalo, he has a little burr in his saddle right now about playing on the third line. He's never going to say it. He's never going to admit it. He's a team-first right. guy, and that's right. great. Right. But I think that he feels that he's taken a step back and that he deserves and wants to be up there on that second line and he wants to leapfrog Trevor Moore and get back up there. You know, he, he always understood that he wasn't long-term going to play on the Kopitar line, but uh, there seems to be a rededication, a refocus quietly. You look at what Alex Iafala was doing over the summer DB. And a lot of mm-hmm. indications have been given to me that he was much more engaged uh, this summer in his, in, in, in terms of being prepared. And so it's something to keep an eye on if that translates into uh, you know, better offensive production, which is something two years ago he talked quite a bit about and he cashed in on that. So we'll see if there's any sort of a, a resurgence. We talk about regression with other players. We'll see if there's a resurgence there or not. Here's the other thing, Dennis. Uh, Todd McClellan did mention Sammy Fagamo, Kaliev, Velarde, which was a little bit surprising when he said it on the podcast last week because the three players that I would have expected to be rotating up there uh, would have been, been Velarde, uh, and two players, really, Velarde and Leas Anderson, because mm-hmm. the Kings, and this is where I want to talk about the Fagamo part, the Kings, they have 14 forwards as it is. Fagamo makes 15. Yeah. Nate Thompson makes 16. So now you have 16 forwards that are you know auditioning for 14 spots, although they're not the majority of them are not auditioning. So what's available? When Arvidsson's healthy, DB, the lines are fairly set, right? Top line. We yeah. know who it is. It's Fiala, Kempe, and Kopitar. Second line, it's set. It's Arvidsson, Deneau, and uh, and Trevor Moore. Third line is set. You have Ayafalo there with Byfield and uh, Kaliev, like we talked about. Fourth line uh, would be set as well. Lemieux with Lazat and Grunstrom. And then you have three players that are vying for two spots. You have uh, Jod, Garrett Anderson, mm-hmm. Dolan. You have Leas Anderson, and you have Gabe Velarde. Well, here's the problem. All three of those players are out of waivers. So That's right. you can only keep two of them. And one of them's going to have to be on waivers or get traded in training camp, which is a rarity in the NHL. Right. And if you add Sammy Fagamo into the mix, now you have four players vying for two spots. And, and Fagamo is the only one, really, that you can send down who's waiver exempt. Mm-hmm. So why yeah. are you even auditioning him, right? Why are you even auditioning him? Because he would be the easiest one to send down to Ontario. And you have a difficult decision in front of you. And we haven't even talked about how Nate Thompson might factor into any of this as well. So I think that where I'm going with this, Dennis, is that the Fagamo in Fagamo being in the rotation is interesting. Yeah. And then here's the other thing. 
What do you think about at some point moving Ayafalo up to that second line? So you have Ayafalo playing with Morin to know. I know you take the quote unquote veteran off that line, but then you can get the kid line. The people in New York and the Ranger fans will be happy. LA will get their own kid line. You put Velarde on that line uh, or Leas. You could put them there with QB and Kaliev, and you have you have LA's kid line, Dennis. Well, where's Arvidsson? Well, he's out still. I'm saying while he's out. Oh, so, I'm not oh, so saying long, okay. yeah, no, no, yeah. no, long, long term. Well, long term, it gets a little more difficult. There's a lot to unpack there. First of all, with Nate Thompson, if, if he's going to play center, he's the fifth center, right? And, and I think now, and somebody drew, I think it was Jimmy Fox that I drew a great nice parallel. Like, he would take the place, if he's willing to go play in Ontario, let's say 300, 300 grand, he would take Sutter's place, right? A, a type of guy. And if there was well, injury. I, I want, or, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you, but he's a little bit, I yeah. just want to get this on the record. He's a little bit yeah. more than Sutter because Sutter was never coming up to play for the LA Kings. And I think that Nate Thompson right. would be, if he goes to Ontario, which is a very likely scenario, I think it's more likely that he's in Ontario than he is in LA. But to me, he would be an insurance policy for injuries, oh, yeah, an insurance policy for the playoffs, something that Sutter was not. That's all I want to say. Nate Thompson is more than Sutter, but he does become the dad, if you will. Yes, as, that's, that as, was as, my- as Hammer likes to call, uh, you know, that guy, yeah. uh, Hammer from Violent Gentlemen, always, you know, referred to people as the dad. So he Yeah, because Nate's the played in the league for, you know, what, over a decade, but it- he would he would take on that role from a from an off ice situation. He would be that type of leader for yes. that. Um, with respect to fact, look, you're not going to lose Gay Velarde on waivers, right? So that's not going to happen. So is it one of the oh, two? Wait, hold other on. Guys? What do you, I want to I want to be clear. What do you mean by that? Are you saying they're not going to put him on waivers, or you're saying you're not worried that if they did, that another team would claim him? No, they're not going to put him on waivers. Okay, they're not putting. You're not going to lose that asset. No, no. Okay, so the other two guys, they're not going to Thomas Hickey, Gabe Velarde. No, they are not. Got it. I would agree with you. So it's one of the two other guys, and I think that it's one or two. I I don't think Nate Thompson makes a team out of camp because, barring an injury, you know your four centers, right? And he's not going to score ten goals like Blake Lazat did. And there's chemistry just coming in. So again, if he can go down there, and he's a he's a he, he is a great insurance policy down the middle. If something would, would happen. You, okay, so it means it's either Jod or uh, Leah Sanderson. or Leah Sanderson. I, I, yeah, yep. and I think it would be more likely Leah Sanderson just because you're, he wasn't drafted by the Kings, and so that still does hold weight at some point mm-hmm. that you've invested, you know, an asset in a play. I know they traded a pick to get him and all that stuff, but right. we're, we're you know we're pro, uh, we're projecting on day one of camp. So Correct. you know, give us a couple of weeks right. and we'll give you our final picks. But here, how about this question for you, Dennis? Would you possibly? Would you possibly send Byfield to the AHL for the first 10 games of the season or something and let Nate Thompson, you could have Lazat play 3C, you put Nate Thompson at 4C, you go with a little bit more of a physical brand of hockey just to open things up a little bit, especially if you have to play Kaliev or Gabe, one of the kids, if you have to play them up on the second line, would you would you maybe want a little bit more protection, especially knowing what happened to Turcotte in the AHL, would you want a little... A little more protection in the lineup than Lemieux gives you, and you know you sell it to you sell it to QB as like, hey, look, last year we gave you a spot in the NHL, and this year we want you to earn it. So go down there and you know get hot and 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 force us to call you up. Would you would you do that? I don't know how how tough were the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning? Did they they? And they're not, well, Tampa's they, pretty they, tough. That's that's a gritty team. That's not. That's not your grandpa's Tampa Bay Lightning. That's that's. I mean, I, I yeah, hear your point. Okay. On the what, and what about the team that beat them? No, so no, I, I yeah, want talent. Running gun. I, need to, well, I, 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 I think that since <laughs> <laughs> they, 
Hey, Dad Manson. I, 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 I think, I think that would really hurt Q's confidence because he's expecting to be on the team opening night. And I get your point because he's 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 not eligible for waivers. So if you want to create a roster spot, but with that guy now, you got to. And he's talked about playing with Artie. He says, you know, I I I know that if I hold on to the puck longer and I put get it in the slot to Artie, the puck's going in the net. So I, I, I'm I'm for Q. No, he's got to progress from here. And starting the progression from what he did last season is not by starting in Ontario. Like what happens in Ontario that's going to yeah. benefit him, right? I, I, and, and, I'm, and, I'm with you. And for the cost of like Nate Thompson making the team, no disrespect to Nate. Nate, no. If it was somebody else, possibly. I'm had just, a break I'm just asking him. questions here. I'm just asking yeah, questions. No, no, no. And, and some conversation. John, I've actually, I've thought of that. <laughs> I've actually, I said, okay, so who's, like, they wouldn't send QB down. Yeah. Like, well, they could, and they could. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a scenario that is maybe not plausible, but it could happen. But, no, I, I can't see. It sends the wrong message to Quinton. If, he, if he's really going to progress here, you got to start from day one, game one, against Vegas, and just it's time. Yeah, I've said almost from day one, speaking of day one, I've said from almost day one of seeing these two players play together. And uh, I like 34 with 55. I like Kaliev with Byfield. Yeah. They seem to play really well together. Um, so I, I, I like that. And I liked uh, uh, seeing them, you know, together uh, at development camp, even uh, back over the summer as well. So, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Your one point about Ayafalo, he'd have to do a lot, to, I think, to unseat Trevor Moore on the second line. I do. He'd have to do I agree a with lot. You. He'd, you know, he'd have to show a lot on that third line. And if he does, then why would he take him off that line if he's playing with the two kids? So I, Here's I, the thing, I though, DB. I don't that. think it's yeah. just that he has to do a lot. I think that Trevor Moore has to not do a lot as well. I think it's a, I think it's a combo. I think, to your point, even if Ayafalo was great, you could talk yourself out of moving him off that line yeah. because he was playing so great. And You're he great. might be exactly. helping that third line and giving you a third line presence. So right. you could easily talk yourself out of it. Things would sure. have to go really south on that line uh, without Arvidsson. Cause maybe it's not just Trevor Moore. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, they can't right. get anything going with that uh, second winger. And so it becomes, I playing with sure. more, not unseating more, but playing with more, just mm-hmm. an idea there. Hey, let's talk about the defense real quick. And then we're going to hit numerology. Nate Thompson's waiting on the other side and uh, he's probably playing wordle on his phone. We don't want, we don't want to keep him <laughs> waiting too long. Um, so Dennis, you have uh, on the defensive side of things, a similar question, but yet I'm going to make a prediction. I think that Bjornfoot ends up going down to the American League to start the season. And here's why it's so weird for me to say that, DB. I actually kind of just tipped my hand. But do you know which L.A. Kings defenseman played more NHL games last year? Or which NHL defenseman played the most NHL games last year on the L.A. Kings roster? Uh, Bjornfoot. It's Toby Bjornfoot. Right? 70 it's, games. It's, it's a very bizarre thing to say. It's Toby right. Bjornfoot. Uh, and... Uh, look, I don't buy into that he was a healthy or excuse me that he was. Yeah, that he was a healthy scratch during the playoffs. I think there was more there a little bit uh, slow coming off the injury. But here's what I'm saying. When you look at the yeah. Kings defense and you look at how things are put together and Todd sort of alluded to this earlier today when he talked about waivers coming into how things play out on the defensive side of things and that sometimes waivers play into the conversation more than your or excuse me, uh, uh, as much as your play can. And that's the unfortunate yeah. sort of, I think he called it the quote unquote business side of hockey. I think that he was referring to Jordan Spence and, or Toby right. Bjornfoot, right? Because here's how it looks. You have Mikey Anderson up top with Dowdy. You have Sean Walker, who you have to play. If you ever have hope of trading him, you have to let him play. So he's going to play alongside most likely Matt Roy. You have Dursey. You just signed. You're going to play him. 
and then you also have Bjornfoot and Edler. Uh, and you're not going to put Edler on waivers, right? Because you signed him to be that insurance seventh defenseman uh, that you that you need and that you want. You don't want to be into a spot like you were last year where you had to call up 19 kids, which leaves Bjornfoot as the only open spot at risk if Brant Clark comes in and has a great camp. And I think that they do want to give Brant Clark a sniff. It could be five games. It could be eight games. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he plays the whole year in the NHL. They might find a way to string it along and give him a conditioning assignment if they rest him every, you know, two games and stretch it to get to Team Canada to let him play at the World Juniors. But I think they want Brant Clark to start the year in the NHL. Okay. And in order to do that, the only way to do it, DB, is to have Bjorn Foot go to the American League. So that's what I think is going to happen. Okay, so if you're playing, you're carrying seven. So you're saying Spence and Bjorn Foot start in Ontario. Well, Spence has to automatically is the way I say it. So if Clark goes back to the OHL, and again, for fans that don't know, you can't send Brent Clark to the American League. It's OHL or NHL. There's a whole article. Google search it, mayorsmanor.com, understanding the rules, and you'll find the article and you'll learn all about it. So Brent Clark, OHL or NHL. If Brent Clark does go back to the Ontario Hockey League, you're saying, well, what about Jordan Spence? Well, I just gave you the seven defensemen. I just gave it to you. And uh, you're not going to keep Jordan Spence and, and you're going to say, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I already know where you're going with this. You're not going to keep Jordan Spence as another right-handed defenseman, right, to send Bjornfoot down. It, it doesn't make sense. The only reason you would carry that extra right-handed defenseman in Brant Clark is because the rules are forcing you to keep that yeah, other yeah. one. You don't have to keep Jordan Spence. So you, you're better off keeping Toby Bjornfoot over Spence at this time. Uh, but Brant Clark, mm-hmm. if you want to give him a look in the NHL DB, which I think they do, and if he has a good enough camp and forces the issue, I think he will get rewarded with a couple of games, and that'll cause Toby Bjornfoot to start the year yeah. in the American League. You can massage the roster. The problem, though, John, is that um, Jordan Spence played better than Toby Bjornfoot last year. It wasn't, and after the injury, when Toby came back, look at his look at his numbers in April. They were horrific, and that caused him to be scratched in the playoffs. So, I, if you if it's a meritocracy. You look at Jordan Spence and what he did last year and how he produced, and he played 19 minutes a night, and he played in the playoffs. I don't know. I, I think Toby Bjornfoot, and I get your point totally, and I agree with it, but I think Toby Bjornfoot has to make the team, not Jordan Spence. Well, I'd say this, though. I think that people right. are sleeping on Toby Bjornfoot. There were stretches over the past two seasons where you could argue that he was the best defenseman on that team, especially defensively. He was a calming, steady, steadying influence on that team. Yeah, I especially go back to the season before when he finally was inserted into the lineup uh, and what a difference it made in terms of slotting the defenseman and where he plays. Toby Bjornfoot is a solid, solid NHL defenseman. He's a younger defenseman. Uh, on the left side, it, yeah, he's not Jacob Chikorin. I get that. Uh, but no, I have no problem with Toby Bjornfoot playing in the NHL. I, I, I agree. It's a good problem. And I agree with you, Dennis, that Jordan Spence was phenomenal. And I mentioned this many times on the pod last year. Not only was he a rookie in the NHL, he was a first-year pro. A first-year yeah. pro, Dennis. Nobody has a first-year pro as a defenseman. Defensemen mature at a later date than forwards. So defensemen normally don't come into their own until they're about 24, 25 years old if you talk to NHL scouts. And this guy, he was rookie of the year in the Quebec League. He was def- uh, then the following season, he was defenseman of the year in the Quebec League. Comes in first year pro and he tears it up in the American League. Quarterbacks the Ontario Reign power play to the best power play in AHL history. The and then also in the second half of the, the season period. plays for the LA Kings and was phenomenal. And DB, I will argue with anybody about this point. If 
Todd would have played him in game six and they would have had a second power play unit. They probably would have won game six and you wouldn't have had the opportunity to ask Todd how many times he <laughs> thought about game seven all summer. Um, okay. Let's do this in uh, DB real quickly. Let's do numerology. And then uh, yep. we have, we can get to uh, Nate Thompson on the other side. So there are, um, there are about a dozen players that have worn number 44, which was Nate Thompson's number when he was here the last time. Uh, Ron Dugay, very popular player uh, here in L.A. and New York, for that matter. Uh, he wore number 44. John McIntyre, the original number 44 in my eyes, uh, he wore it. Yannick Perot wore it. Uh, Yaroslav Modri wore that number. Lori Tukinen won that number. War, he didn't win it. He won- wore that number back in 2007. The aforementioned whiskey, Davis to whiskey. Uh, Robin Regeer wore that number. Oh, Vinny yeah. LeCavalier, <laughs> classic Dean Lombardi trade there uh, <laughs> back in 2016. Nate Thompson and, of course, Mikey Anderson as well. Hey, on the other side of the break, Nate Thompson. We'll be back right after. Welcome back. Second period, Kings of the Podcast. And I have to tell you, I'm pretty interested to talk to our next guest. He has recently agreed to a PTO with the LA Kings. He'll be joining them at training camp this week. Nate Thompson. Nate, what's going on, buddy? Not a whole lot. Just enjoying, uh, you know, the last Sunday until, um, you know, until training camp starts in a couple days. Now, look, I've never shared this with you before, and I, I don't know why this is, but I always... When I see you or talk to you or think of you, I think of Colin Frazier. And I don't know why, but it reminds me when when Fraz was here in L.A. after they won the cup in 2012, I asked him a question and he stared. I was videoing something and he stares into the camera and he says anything for the mayor. And I don't know why, but you just give off that same sort of vibe. Hey, Nate, would you mind talking? You want to come on the podcast? Hey, like, yeah, no problem, mayor, whatever you want. So uh, that's a compliment, by the way, because I think very highly of Colin Frazier. And uh, we all miss Fraz here in L.A. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I actually played against Colin um, for a long time, actually. I played against him in junior, too, and he was uh, a hard guy to play against. And that's also a compliment because, uh, yeah, he, he was uh, he was a guy that, you know, came to the rink every day and worked hard. So uh, I appreciate that. Well, let's talk a little bit about those early days. We'll, uh, we'll do this since you have never been on the podcast before. Instead of just drilling you with all of the kind of current questions uh we'll do a career sort of spanning interview uh we'll go back to the very beginning so for those that don't know you were born in alaska you spent four years in the whl and the seattle thunderbirds uh you were drafted there at the end of your second season in junior uh after your fourth season i believe you went to the ahl uh for the playoffs kind of like adrian kempe did in la where he came over at the end of manchester's run there whatever the year that was, 2014, 2015. But you played 11 games, uh, and that was a pretty interesting time, at least looking back on it, because uh, there with the Providence Bruins, your first you know, real sniff at the pros, you're, you're thrown right into the playoffs. You guys make it to the conference finals. 
you end up losing uh, to the Phantoms, who went on to become the Cup champions. But that team was stacked. That was a loaded team. Patrick Sharp, Jeff Carter, Mike Richards. What do you remember about that that series, Providence uh, uh, versus the Phantoms? I just remember being. Um, I mean, I just remember being so fun. I mean, I, I look back at my my time in Providence, and especially that year uh, when I came out of junior, because not everyone knows, but that was the full lockout NHL season. So. Um, the American League was probably the best it'll ever be uh, that year because you had so many guys from the NHL coming down and playing the American League. And, um, and then obviously you had a lot of guys being held back that were probably could have played in the American League that were in junior. So it was kind of, uh, it was just loaded. And you know, for me, it was just kind of an eye-opening experience uh, being able to play in the American League at that time. I was only 20 years old. And, and then to play in that series, I just remember looking at, um, you know, looking across to the, you know, the red line at warmups and just seeing all these NHL guys that I grew up watching, you know, some older guys that uh, have been around for a long time. But I think there was even you know, a couple, um, you know, they're a lot more fighting than I remember there were a couple, uh, couple run-ins uh, during warmups where, you know, both teams were at the red line and, and, you know, John at each other and, um, you know, having some active sticks. So uh, <laughs> I just, I just remember that it was, uh, it was quite the experience and, and definitely something I'll never forget. What's that like, too, as a 20-year-old? I mean, you're still a kid, or you're, you're just coming out of being a kid, right? But you're from Alaska, which is not exactly, you know, New York City, and then you're playing in Seattle, which is, you know, it's now, uh, well, it was a hockey hotbed for junior hockey. It always has been. The, the T-Birds have, you know, quite the following. But still, I mean, this is not like playing in Toronto, right? And then you're in, you're in uh, with Providence there, and, and, you know, that whole area is hockey crazy, uh, what's that like? Just sort of different environment, and you're really starting to, I, th- I would imagine, starting to feel like, wow, this like this is a really big deal. You know, I'm not just I'm not just playing a bunch against a bunch of kids anymore, like you were saying. Yeah, it was. It, it was. It was definitely a culture shock for me. I think even going to Seattle and then Seattle to you know out to the East Coast. You know, being from being from Anchorage, Alaska, uh, it's very different uh, where I grew up. So, yeah, it was. It was just a, a scenario for me where I was just trying to. You know, kind of soak it all in, but at the same time, I think I was so young and naive. I was just kind of having fun, and and I just, um, I just, you know, when I look back on it now, I just, you know, I think about all the guys that I got to play with and these older guys that had such long careers. And I was only 20 years old. I mean, I look at a guy like, like Brent Thompson. You know, he he was on the team, and you know, now his son Tage Thompson is uh, is probably going to be a superstar in the NHL. He had a you know had a heck of a year last year. And I look at some of the older guys that I used to play with. You know. Bergeron, we were drafted together, and he was only, um, you know, same age as me, and he was playing the American League that year, and it was just one of those, it was just one of those uh, experiences that I look back, and it's like, wow, you know, I, I got to experience something like that, play with some guys that, that played a long time, and, and at the same time, I got to experience a great city like Providence. It was, uh, it was definitely a place that, you know, on the East Coast, you know, they, um, especially in New England area, you know, they love their sports, so it, it was, it was definitely a lot of fun for me. Now, uh, I, I have to say, nice way to work that in. I'm not sure if you did that intentionally or unintentionally, but a Brent Thompson reference will also uh, always get you high marks here on not only Mayor's Matter, but Kings of the Podcast. Love the history of the L.A. Kings. And Brent Thompson, of course, was, was uh, with the L.A. Kings for a very brief period of time and has gone on to, I, I would say, a pretty successful uh, coaching career after that. Yeah, he has. Uh, and and I, didn't even, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know he played. All I know is it was the first time ever that I had to uh, 
put N. Dot Thompson on the back of my jersey, um, <laughs> which was which was funny for me, you know. And and I remember him calling me. Everyone was calling me Little Tomer, and uh, it was just you know I look back in those those memories, and it was something that I'll never forget. And it's just so wild to think that um, you know now I'm playing against his son, who was just a little guy at the time, and uh, it's just it's just wild to me. But it's it's definitely a a really cool memory for me and, and something, like I said, I'll never forget, you know, playing for the Providence Bruins at that time. Now, uh, look, things, uh, things didn't work out with you and the Bruins organization. We'll get into that a little bit later in the, uh, I think, I think you're at 19 different NHL teams. Uh, we'll have to count here throughout the, throughout the interview. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's something like that, give or take. <laughs> give or take. Yeah. I'm not good at math. I'm sorry. Um, but you, you played two fi- full seasons there uh, in the AHL. Like we talked about, you did eventually though, you had a cup of coffee, uh, with the Bruins, you made your NHL debut. I would try to quiz you, but I'm sure that you still remember that very first game uh, in your NHL debut. I do. We played, you know, the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I think it was 2006, and we lost uh, five to two. And I think I played around two minutes, maybe a little bit over two minutes. <laughs> you still had, you still had the I best remember. seat in the house, though. I mean, you know, so for the oh, other 58 I, I minutes, did. you're on the bench. I did. I had a free ticket and best seat in the house. Yeah, for sure. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty surreal. I mean, and, and at that time, as I, I don't know if it knew, but you know, the Buffalo Sabres were, you know, that was when they were pretty loaded and they were, you know, making conference finals, going to cup finals. Uh, they, they had a team that was, uh, that was a powerhouse. So, um, to, to, like you said, to sit there on the bench and get a front row seat playing your first NHL game when you're, I think I was 22 years old at the time was, was pretty special. So uh, not that you were ever really a, a prolific goal scorer in the NHL. That's not your, your calling card, but still uh, you, you wouldn't have been too excited to be out there taking shots on Dominic Hasek. That's what you're saying. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I would have loved to take a shot on Dominic Hasek, even if it didn't go in, I, I would have been okay. Just, just, just to say I got a shot on net against Dominic Hasek. That's fair. Uh, now did you, did you fly in? You know, yeah, I'm sure you, uh, you know, you're making AHL salary pretty much at that point. Um, but I'm sure you chartered a plane and flew in half of Anchorage for your NHL debut, right? Unfortunately, no, it was just me. Cause I, you know, I found out, uh, that morning, you know, luckily for Providence, Boston, everything's so close. So, uh, I got called up that morning oh, wow. and I, so I, I drove to Boston that day and played the game that night. So, um, unfortunately Alaska's too far to make it, uh, to make it all the way out of the East coast in the same day. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now let's see one more season, uh, I believe with AHL or, um, or at least, uh, you eventually ended up being picked up on waivers from the Islanders. And I want to talk about a couple of those moments because, you know, you go from living the dream, right? You're drafted by an NHL team and then you're making your NHL debut. I always remember talking to Mike Richards after the trade from Philadelphia to Los Angeles and him talking about how that was a moment. It's kind of like when you change all the innocence leaves and you go from being a kid to a man almost overnight and your world is kind of taken out from under you. He, he really gave me a different perspective on players leaving organizations and what it does to them mentally that we really don't, you know, we don't talk about uh, in the, in the media. It's always just about, you know, onto the next trade, this guy, and what did they get in return and who won the trade and all that sort of stuff. But you're, you're put on waivers. Like what does that do to you at that particular time? When you think back on it now, what, what did it do to you mentally? Well, I think it was, it was one of those things where I knew it, it, 
it was going to be a situation where I knew I was going to have to clear waivers. I, I knew there was a chance that I was going to get picked up. I had a really good year uh, the year before in the minors uh, with Providence. And you're right. You know, when you get put on waivers and you get picked up by another team, you know, you're no longer a prospect anymore. You're yeah. no longer part of the organization that built you up from when you were drafted and invested all their time with you. Now you're, now you're basically, like you said, you're almost like a free agent and you kind of have to come in and prove yourself again. And that's kind of what, what, what was the scenario and what I had to do. Um, luckily, Scott Gordon was the head coach of the Islanders and I had him in Providence. So there was that familiarity I had with him. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I still had to go in and prove myself to uh, the coaching staff, to my teammates, to, you know, just to prove that I could play in the NHL. You know, I'd only play four games at the time. So I had to come in and um, basically, I guess you could kind of say, do it all over again with a whole new, with a whole new organization. Mm-hmm. And Mike Richards, and Mike Richards is right. It's really what you have to do when you're getting, when you're getting traded or pick up waivers or whatever it is, maybe to a new team, you really have to prove yourself again and, um, you know, show the organization that, uh, you know, why did you get me? You know, there's a reason why they picked you up. There's a reason why they got your traders. Well, you have well, you got to prove them right. Yeah. Uh, the, the familiarity with the coach had to, had to help like more than you probably realized at the time, right? Now that you've played for so many different coaches, so many different teams, been in different environments. When you look back on it, do you you go like, wow, how how lucky was I to have that relationship already with the coach and not have to reestablish or not have to establish, I should say from ground zero, uh, a new relationship with the new head coach? Yeah, it was. It, it definitely played a big factor, and it helped me a lot with the transition um, to New York. Uh, you know, Scott knew the type of player I was. He knew the you know the role I had to play to succeed. Um, obviously, you know, my role had to get smaller. Obviously, going to the NHL. You know, before the previous year in Providence, you know, I was you know, captain of the team and I, you know, had a much bigger role um, in the locker room and all those things, but obviously coming in as a rookie and him being the head coach and you're dealing with uh, a lot bigger, um, you know, attitudes and, and, and characters on teams in the NHL and players that uh, it's just, a, it's a little bit of a different, you know, scenario. So, but at the same time, I think it was, it was super helpful for me knowing, knowing Scott, and knowing what he was going to expect out of me going to New York. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, the following year, you, you score your first goal. Um, I'm sure you remember. It's against the Rangers. But I think yeah. I think the bigger goal, I'm guessing, was probably the one that came a couple days later when you scored against the Bruins. Yeah. I, you know what? That's funny. I, I, I don't talk about that that goal too much, and, and I don't remember it as much either. I think that I scored on was a wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. NHL players have long memories. They remember. Yeah. You talk to Shane Doan; he'll tell you what he did on his third shift and who who was out there against him. You're trying to tell me there's not a receipt yeah. coming against playing the Boston Bruins, <laughs> the team that just discarded you and left you on the waiver wire. You score yeah. your second NHL goal. You're telling me, nah, I barely remember that game. I'm well, not I remember it. it. I, I remember it. Now, now you refresh my memory. <laughs> okay. But, I, but, but I, I, I do think that, you know, my first NHL goal was definitely a little bit more of a, of a highlight for me just because of where I did it, who I did, who I scored on, and, and the way I did it, I think was, um, 
was something that I'll never forget. But yes, I do remember now that uh, that goal against the Bruins. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think it was on Manny Fernandez. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and that would be NHL goaltender Manny Fernandez, not uh, uh, the former pro wrestler Manny Fernandez, yeah. uh, who wrestled Correct. Ric Flair many times. That's a different different podcast. But uh, where, where yeah. is the where is where is the puck from the Ranger goal? Your first goal. Where's the puck? I have it in a plaque um, with the picture and the and the score sheet and all that stuff. Uh, you know, the Islanders, uh, you know, they made that up for me after my first NHL goal that year. So. Um, I have it. It's a uh, it's it's a pretty cool thing they did for me there. All right, so you're coming to Kings Camp. You're you're on a PTO. You're trying to keep this this train rolling here. Eight hundred and forty four NHL games. You've played with the Bruins, the Islanders, waivers again. Uh, picked up by the Lightning. You turned that into something kind of nice. Ended up eventually getting a four year deal. Uh, traded to the Anaheim Ducks. They sent two draft picks uh, back to get you. How about that one? How does that feel? Uh, we talked about the waivers already, but when you're traded. And especially after being with the Lightning and, and signing that longer-term deal, which had to be, you know, some validation for everything you'd put into your career up until that point. When you get traded, do, do you even look at what goes the other way in return to see, like, yeah, that was good value or, you know, they underpaid or they overpaid to get me? Do you look at that at all? Yeah, I think I think a little bit. Uh, I think I, at that time I was, I was in shock. I didn't know I was going to get traded. I know Inkling I was going to get traded away from Tampa. Um, you know, Tampa was really kind of where I found my niche in the league and, and really kind of established myself as a regular NHL player and, you know, established my role and the type of player I was and and really just kind of, you know, just grew up there, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I got traded from there, and yeah, I realized I was getting traded in, I, I didn't really even look, I think, until maybe the next day and realized I was traded for a couple of draft picks. And I was like, Oh wow. You know, kind of think <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm worth, I'm worth two draft picks. You know, I was, yeah. I was a waiver wire pickup. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of cool. It was kind of, um, you know, uh, for me it was, I realized, okay, wow. You know, I, I guess I'm going to be a good, you know, big part of this team in Anaheim and trying to help them win. So yeah, it was something pretty cool. At the same time, I guess it was bittersweet because I love my time in Tampa. I love playing, love playing there and we had a great group of guys there and uh but at the same time like i said you know i went to a great great team in anaheim you know there's always there's always um you know silver linings and you know in different scenarios for sure all right so come clean have you gone back and looked up to see who those draft picks eventually turned into i i have but i, I couldn't i couldn't tell you who it is now i, I can't remember i can't remember you. i know i, 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 I know i, I know i know i I know it was a fourth and a second round pick, I believe. Sounds about right. Okay. Well, somebody somebody who's listening can go look that up and see uh, the two draft picks (laughs) that went to Tampa. Who did they end up being? uh, And and that's, you know, they can tweet us both. Uh, Let's see. You ended up in Ottawa then after that. And then you come to the Kings. The big headline uh, was the other player that was involved in that trade, right, that was coming uh, in Dion Phaneuf, and you also ended up coming and probably made a bigger impact, uh, looking back on it, uh, your first stint with the LA Kings. You probably made a bigger impact than Dion did. What do you remember about your time in LA? And don't just say, oh, it was great, it was fun, you know, I was living at the beach and uh, the boys were great, because that's that's too generic. What do you remember? <laughs> what do I remember? That was going to be um, your answer, wasn't it? The boys were great, I went to the beach no, all the time. No, no, it, it was... <laughs> I was so excited, honestly, just because I remember, you know, I just, I've already lived in California for 
to Anaheim and I ended up staying. So I remember skating with some of these guys in the summertime uh, periodically, uh, Jeff Carter, Jake Muzzin, uh, some of these guys. So I knew them. And there was always that, you know, what if I ended up playing for the Kings someday? You know, that would be pretty great. That probably would never happen, but, you know, what if? What if? Um, and when I got traded to L.A., it was it, – I was so excited. I was so – it was such a – I don't know, it was such a cool moment in my career just because, you know, the Los Angeles Kings, you know, I grew up idolizing Wayne Gretzky and, and, and especially in the days when he was playing for the Kings. And for me, to be able to – play for the LA Kings in a place like Los Angeles in California where everything's kind of showtime, you know, and, and to be able to experience that, it was awesome. I mean, and to be able to play with some of the guys that I've skated and worked out with in, in the past. Um, what I remember, I think it was, just, it was just one of those things where I was just so excited to be there and, and be a part of it and be part of a Kings organization just be, you know what, I played for the Kings at one point. You know, even, if, even if it was for a short time, I got to say, you know, I played for so is there a picture then of you growing up? Uh, you know, what did you call yourself earlier? Little Tomer or something? Is there a little a little picture of you as a pre-teenage kid uh, rolling around somewhere in Alaska wearing a, a Kings jersey or T-shirt or hat or something? I don't know. I don't think I had any Kings gear. I just think I was I was I was always drawn to the Kings because of Wayne Gretzky, and, okay. I, and I definitely I definitely had the you know the silver aluminum Wayne Gretzky stick that everyone you know pawned after uh, everyone wanted. It as a young kid you know for me I was a growing up I was a huge Red Wings and Steve Eisenman fan too so um but yeah I just think it was you know and my first my first time so it was uh, it was pretty special Wow, it all worked out. I mean, being a Gretzky fan, you yeah. ended up playing for the Kings. Stevie signs you to that big contract when you're, uh, you know, four-year yeah. deal yeah. when you're there in Tampa. So it's, yeah. uh, it's all good. Uh, okay, so after after the Kings uh, stint, you end up with the Habs. Uh, two stints with the Flyers. Uh, you sandwiched in a little time in Winnipeg there. In between, um, how about this though? I want to talk about this for just a quick minute uh, as we get closer to the end of the interview here. Uh, during the 2012 lockout, you talked earlier uh, about one of the other work stoppages and how. Guys went down and played in the American League, and uh, Dustin Brown from the LA Kings ended up playing in Manchester at that time because of the yep. uh, the work stoppage. Um, but the other work stoppage that took place in 2012, Clifford goes and plays with the Ontario Reign, who were in the ECHL, and you also played in the ECHL. You went back and played for the Alaska Aces. Now, just tell me how surreal that is. Here you are, you're an NHL player, you know, you've made good money, you've made a career out of being a hockey player, and then now you're back home and you're playing in the ECHL for the Alaska Aces, that that had to be bizarre with all your friends and family. I'm assuming you have friends and family that were in the stands every night watching you. Yeah, that that looking back on it now, that was probably, I'll say, one of the highlights of my hockey career. Um, just being able to go play at home, you know, and I wasn't even planning on doing it. And there was, and there was, another, it was another connection from, from my past, you know, Rob Murray, was a head coach of the last cases and he was my assistant from all my years in Providence. And, you know, I was just going back home to just to skate, uh, you know, skate with the aces and stay ready for whenever the season was supposed to start. And I skating with him in training camp and eventually decided, oh, I'm going to play for the aces. And it was awesome. You know, I got to be there for a couple months at home. Instead of my parents having to fly to come see me play, they just had to drive. And, um, 
you know, come watch me whenever they wanted. So it was something that I'll never forget. And, you know, something that's super special to me to, to say that I ended up playing for the Alaska Aces at home and getting to play in front of friends and family. It was, uh, it was awesome. Now, you're a tough guy. I get it. But how emotional was that last game? Because we all knew that it was going to end at a certain point. We knew that the negotiations were going on and that the NHL was going to be returning. When, when it finally happened, when you're at your, your last game and you're realizing that this, this run with the Aces is over, how emotional was that last game knowing like, man, I'm, I'm going back to work now and this is not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be at home anymore. Yeah, it, it was it was bittersweet. Uh, I think because I I became you know close with um, a lot of the guys on the team, you know, and I and you know my best friend growing up, uh, Nick Maslany, was on the team, and we were roommates on the road together. We we grew up together when we were little, you know. So to be able to play with your best friend on a you know minor pro team uh, when you're when you're a man, you know, it was it was awesome, and to be and to, and to have to leave. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, you know, uh, I was going down to Tampa, Florida, so it's not so bad. Um, <laughs> and you were going to get an and, NHL paycheck, which is much larger. Yeah, and, and I was going to go back into playing the NHL. So <laughs> I think it was, you know, it was, it was, again, like I said, it was bittersweet. Okay. I, I didn't want to go, but it, it was, it, it, there was a good reason to go at the same time. <laughs> So what you're saying is you waved goodbye at the buses, you got on chartered planes, and you were uh, eating much better food, and you were just fine, and, and, and you're happy you've had the experience. That's, that's fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a couple Kings-related questions. We'll wrap this thing up here. Really appreciate your time. Your first game playing against the LA Kings. Do you remember that one? First game playing against the LA Kings? Yeah. I don't even, I, I, I don't remember that one. November 4th, 2010, at the Staples Center uh, in Los Angeles. Is it coming back to you yet? You didn't do anything memorable, no, I, by the way, so I'm not, I'm not going to... No, I'm not, of course not. <laughs> oh, I, 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 know I, I know I didn't do anything memorable. I was playing for the Islanders. Obviously, I, played for the Islanders obviously, I played for the Islanders. I don't know if I Tampa. And, and 2010? Yeah, who was I playing for? Playing no, for you're playing, yeah, you're playing for Tampa. The game was one nothing. Okay. L.A. won the game on a goal from Justin Williams, uh, assisted by Ryan Smith, who eventually left L.A. because uh, it wasn't safe enough for him. And then uh, Jared Stoll, who is still is with the Kings, uh, he's still there. So, okay, you don't remember that game. That's fine. Okay. Uh, we can... I, don't, I don't remember that game. Yeah, <laughs> that just shows you how many teams I've been on. <laughs> yeah, we, did, we did cover it. We did cover them earlier. Yes. Hard to keep up, yeah. Uh, okay, so how about uh, numbers? Numerology is a big thing here on the podcast. Uh, you broke in wearing 52. You wore 45, 11. 44 eventually in Tampa. You've worn 44 most of the time in your career. Uh, with the Habs, yeah. you were wearing 21. I think you wore 11 in the peg. Uh, back to 44 in Philadelphia. Is there any connection to 44? Why 44? How did you end up with 44? I, I think when I, when I got picked up on Williams in Tampa, they gave me number 44, and I just kind of stuck with it. Um, there was no reason behind it. I think it's just one of those numbers where I – I kind of became drawn to it after I got picked up by Tampa. I stayed there for so long, and I kept 44 for as long as I played there, and I just stuck with it for my pretty much you know the rest of my career. There's really no story behind it. I think it was just like I was given that number, and I liked it. All right, so when, when guys are signing a PTO, right, I mean, you're not, let's be honest, you don't have all the leverage that you would if you were a big-time UFA, but, but just tell me that you worked it into the PTO deal. You're like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll agree to the PTO. I'm coming to camp under one condition, though. I have to wear my 44. Like, that, that would be a baller move to put that in your PTO. 
Yeah, it would be, but I, I definitely didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll be, I'll be wearing number fourteen. Fourteen. <laughs> Just to give you some insight info. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking yeah. news: You're wearing fourteen. Breaking news: Number fourteen. Yeah, that was that was one of the few that were available, and I chose that one. Wait, isn't forty four? Wait, hold on. Isn't forty four available? No, it's uh, Mikey Anderson's wearing that. Oh, he is. You're right. Yeah. I don't yeah. think of him he's as forty four. That's why he's not yeah. a forty four to me. <laughs> he's not. Yeah. He's still a kid. No, like, buy a mistake dinner. Come on. Just, like, trade numbers. He can be 14. Yeah. I mean, he's been here for a few years now, so it's fine. He, I guess he, it's just a number. You okay. Know. All right. How about this one, then? I'm going to leave you on this. Make me proud. Know your LA Kings history. Who, prior to you, who was the last member of the LA Kings before you wore 44? Who was the last LA Kings player to wear 44 prior to you? You should you should know this by the way. That's the hint I'm going to give you. Oh, I was going to guess. Um, oh, it's between two guys. Uh, maybe is it Robin Regeer? No, no. That's a good guess though. Who, who is it? Vinny LeCavalier. Oh yeah, I should know that. You one. should. Oh, yeah, because I played against him too when he was one of the kings. That's right. Come on. Yeah, you're right. I should I should have known that one. I played with Vinny too. Yeah, I should have known that. One. I set you up with the softball. I thought, man, if anybody's yeah. going to know that answer, it's going to be Thompson. Yeah, I should, I should, I should have known that one. You're right. It's okay. It's all right. Uh, yeah. the, the, the boys at VG aren't going to be happy. I know you're a big violent gentleman guy. They're not going to be happy that you uh, didn't get didn't get the trivia answer right. So next <laughs> next time, I'll, Hammer will give me some random question to. Uh, he didn't give me that one, but I'll, I'll ask him, and he'll give me some random one. Uh, he'll want to know like how many pickles you put on your burger uh, one time you stopped by or something. You know, yeah, that sounds like a Hammer question. Well, it has to be food yeah. and specifically burger related. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah definitely. Hammer and I have had too many arguments about uh, what makes a good burger. So anyway, uh, Nate, really appreciate <laughs> you uh, coming on the program. It's been fun going down memory lane with you and uh, getting things set up. Congratulations on the PTO. I don't know if that's a thing. Congratulations on the PTO. Uh, but if it is, congratulations. Yeah, I, I, well, I appreciate it. I would say, like I tell people, hopefully you can give me a congratulations in about a month. Okay, so we'll hold the congratulations. I'm I'm retracting my congratulations. I'm going to hold it. Uh, we'll see you. We'll see you throughout camp. And uh, best of luck. Yeah. Hope that it all works out. And then we'll we'll give you a big congratulations in about a month from now. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. There you go, Nate Thompson. We'll be back after the break and get more into the LA Kings in our third period. To forget the code, let the wind blow. You can't be assured of a window. Shame, bro. We know you fold. In blood, everything wrong should be right. The earth dies, it's a money thing, it's a money thing. Nothing changes, never stops. to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. 
All right. Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, third period. Thank you very much to uh, Nate Thompson, who uh, gave us a little bit of information there as well, moving from 44 to number 14. Apologies to Justin Williams and or uh, anybody else that wore 14 in L.A., including Tony Granado, by the way, who wore uh, multiple numbers, if I remember correctly, here uh, here in Los Angeles. But, DB, let's uh, circle back to the first period. Uh, we did, or I did, I'll, I'll take the heat for this one, too. Uh, I forgot to... Uh, ask you for some injury updates. Now, real quickly, on the last episode, uh, we talked about Sean Dursey. It was the shoulder after we talked to Todd McClellan, and we expected him to be back uh, midway through camp, I think was what I said on the last podcast, and McClellan probably publicly confirmed that today. Yeah, yeah. So he's not been cleared, but he's skating right now. He's in touch as he looks good. So he expects him to get a couple of preseason games, and the expectations is – Unlike Arvidsson, as you just mentioned, he should be good for opening night. Yeah, and RV, I mean, nobody said this to me officially, but my tentative target date is November 1st. And I just come up with that because I was expecting him, based upon what I was hearing, to miss the first couple weeks of the season. The season starts October 11th, so I'll just target November 1st. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> that's that's my target date for 33 DB. Yeah, and Drew says his wrist is 100%. He's raring to go, and uh, it feels fine. He says it felt good probably – a two, three months uh, uh, from today uh, going backwards. So that's uh, – he's ready to go and uh, says 100% and, um, you know, is, is motivated to, to have a big season. All right. Well, good. So there you go. Drew Doughty, who I believe had something like 30 points in 34 games or something to start right. the season last year, DB. It was pretty ridiculous, almost a point-per-game pace. So we'll have to keep an eye on uh, number eight and see see what kind of year he starts out with. You would think that he would be motivated – uh, you know, Drew's always motivated, but you would think this year his motivation comes from missing out on that fun at the in the second half of last year and really wanting to be part of it and almost reestablish his his leadership and dominance in in the pecking order of the LA Kings roster, if you will. And, and not only that, John, he he was the one that was very vocal about not making the playoffs as old. We have to upgrade the roster. We have to get better players in here. And management's done that, and he missed out on it. So yeah. it, it, it was, and you know, we both know this player. It killed him not to play in the playoffs. Like, you'd imagine that guy. I mean, I, I saw him in Edmonton for game seven in the press box. It was just, it was, you know, he's clearly, you know, a, a hot, the, the, the fire has not been extinguished in Drew Doughty no. at all. And, and so the fact that he missed out on that, just, I'm sure he's thought about it long and hard. To, and there's nothing to do about it over the summer, but I'm, I agree with you. He really wants to be in those type of games. I, I remember back at the exit interviews uh, at the end of last season and <laughs> Drew telling us uh, that that he went to Rob and basically told him that if they made it out of the second round, he was so <laughs> excited during the first round. He basically said like, hey, man, uh, if they win game seven in the next 10 days or something like that in two weeks, whatever it was, I'm coming back. And I remember the look on Blakey's face when, <laughs> when I asked him for the follow up. And it was like he's I mean, he did the kindest roll of his eyes and was like, dude, that was never happening. <laughs> You know, and just, can you just imagine, like, Drew missing a game that he could have eliminated uh, Connor McDavid from the playoffs? Oh, not the plan to play for Drew? Yeah. I, in I just, Canada. I can't imagine. That is. I know, that that's is in Canada, Canada, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Um, hey, and by the way, Brant Clark, just two stalls down from Drew Doughty. Um, yeah. Uh, something to be noted there so that's those type of things are not an accident dennis they don't just happen no 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 no, no, no. it's 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 planned yeah at least you didn't get hit in the head today that's a good thing so please it's always a good day when you don't get hit in the head 
A uh, couple of quick updates, Dennis. Um, have uh, Before we get Please. to the true false section, we've had some people that have asked about the jersey patch, some of the teams around the league. By the way, congrats to Vegas. I know that most LA Kings fans don't like the Golden Knights. Uh, they're going to like them even less this year with the new gold jerseys and all that sort of stuff. Uh, good to see that, that that has finally come to fruition. I felt like I tweeted that six months ago, but they're going to have the gold uniforms now as their, their primary uniform. But what I was saying congratulations to is their patch looks kind of nice because it blends in. It's not. It doesn't stand out. Have you seen it? I've not seen it, but I have another question for you. So finish your. It's, it's a, go, it's uh, a gold patch. It's a gold patch, mm-hmm. and it says, I think, whatever that uh, casino, Circa or whatever that casino. Circa, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's in. It's in. I think it's even in red stitching, but it's a gold square patch on the gold jersey, so it doesn't stand out. It's not as noticeable as you would right. expect. But go ahead. Yes. What's your What's okay. your question? Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh-huh. have milk. Milk as a pet. That milk is the sponsor. It says milk. Like M-I-L-K? Like what comes from a cow? Yep. yep. Okay. The milk farmers. Is that Daryl no. Sutter approved? I don't know because he's into uh, Alberta beef. What has he feel about milk? I have no idea. I, I don't know. I haven't, I, we haven't asked him yet, but it's, it's milk. Milk. So it just yeah. says milk? Yes. It, that's it doesn't all even say like best. drink milk. It just says milk, milk. Milk. That's very strange. I have not seen that yet. And then somebody made a joke about putting the leaves on a milk carton <laughs> and, and playoffs next to them, missing. It, you know, this is what I love about sports fans. It does not take them very long. No, it does not, John. Uh, <laughs> same day, same day that patch came out. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's milk. Go, go after the pot. Go looking for. Okay, well, you let me give you the LA. Let me give you the LA Kings update. Yeah, please. So, um, nothing official, of course. Talking to sources uh, uh, connected with the team. You know me, always. Uh, Trying to well here, trying to milk people for information. Oh <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> so, in terms of trying to get info, nothing is official yet. But here's what I understand: is that they have not yet uh, signed uh, a, a company up yet. There's nothing to announce uh, regarding a jersey sponsor or a, a helmet sponsor because I don't know if you noticed this or not, Dennis. But they did not have a helmet sponsor at the rookie tournament up in San Jose, which was the leading indicator that they didn't have a helmet sponsor Mm -hmm. secured. So from what I understand, it really boils down to a long-term partnership. And this whole thing is sort of new, you know, in the NHL and it came up during the pandemic. So it all sort of was in the beginning, you know, a big scramble uh, as it came together. But now I I believe that teams, including the Kings are starting to look at things more strategically. They're looking for long-term partnerships. They're not looking for, you know, a half a season or just a, just a, a home helmet sponsor, you know, in a dream scenario, you would sign the same company or complementary companies probably to multi-year deals for the uh, helmet and for the Jersey. Uh, but that hasn't just happened yet. And they're taking their time. And here's why they can take their time, Dennis, something interesting, a little nugget that I stumbled upon, which is the Kings are already at record levels of, of sponsorship in terms of the team. So they're doing very well, which is great. And you have to believe that the playoffs injected some life right into the organization um also coming out of the pandemic certain uh uh, you know in spite of the economic pressures that are out there right now and we're not going to turn this into an economic uh Mm -hmm. show don't worry but uh, i think we all know you know the economic pressures that are out there but some companies are still looking to gain market share and do that so uh they have not signed anybody up yet and uh there's no guarantee that's going to happen by opening night but just because it doesn't happen by opening night, from what I understand, that does not preclude them from doing a deal later. So 20 games into the season, midway through the year, whatever, they could announce a multi-year partnership for either the helmet and or for the jersey. Uh, it could be a package. It could be separate companies, like I mentioned. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, that's the update right now. You know, sort of no news there. Yeah. 
Yeah, just a couple of things on that. Of course, they've assessed the value, right? And they don't want to come off that value. So somebody's not willing to pay. And again, it's strategic. It's long term. Yeah. And not only that, when you talk about when Bill Daly talked about like the, the negative hole that the league was in, they had such a great year last year that that has gone away. So right. you may see the salary cap go up sooner, like after next season. It was a couple seasons away. Now it's on the horizon. And with respect to getting people's attention and making the playoffs, John, it's been uh, I I had to park in the auxiliary parking today at first first opening day at, at camp, and that hasn't happened. I mean, opening day of camp, twenty twenty five people. The stands were packed, and you talk about making the playoffs. It gets a lot of people's attention, including the fans. The stands were packed today, and for an opening day, and usually just more attendance on an opening day. But I don't recall having to park in the auxiliary parking on a first day camp in a long time. So it, it, they've struck. This team has struck a chord with the fan base again. And I think it's only going to continue to grow, Dennis, not only as the team now is back on the winning way, but you also have the renovations coming to Crypto.com yep. Arena. That's going to be huge. Continue to get good press for them. Um, you also have interest in things like the reverse retro jerseys. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, sure. All right, let's just get to it right now. Uh, yep. And then I'll, I'll rearrange my sort of notes that I had here. But uh, look for the reverse retro jersey. From what I understand, most likely to be announced here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I had previously uh, indicated that they would only wear them in the first half of the season. That has all but been confirmed to me. It looks like uh, that window for teams to wear them is is sort of between, uh, you know, kind of November 1st up until the end of the All-Star break. So call it November, December, January. The Kings are tentatively slated, from what I understand, uh, to, to wear their jersey for the first time in about mid-November. Maybe they're waiting for Arvidsson to get back before they wear the reverse retro <laughs> jersey um, for the first time. But probably four to six times for the Kings uh, before the All-Star break. And the the debut is uh, coming very soon. Now, Dennis, they are being extremely tight lipped. And for anybody that knows uh, me and knows the story of Mayor's Manor and the jerseys, it's a personal yeah. thing to me at this point. Oh, totally. Uh, you know, I, I'm very proud of the jersey record that we have on Mayor'sManor.com. Going uh, going back is probably every jersey the organization has released <laughs> over the last ten years from the Ontario rain jerseys when they moved here from Manchester to the outdoor Jersey against the ducks. We broke, we broke the outdoor Jersey against the sharks, the outdoor Jersey against the abs, uh, the 50th anniversary Jersey, what the silver Jersey, uh, geez, the, the most recent white, the return to the Gretzky era look. Uh, so all sorts of different things. Um, the reverse retro Jersey that is up on mayor's manor. We put a couple different configurations together so that people would, uh, sort of get a sense of what's happening from every indication that I have, Dennis, um, short of 100% confirmation, which people are always reluctant to give. It does appear that the jersey will be white, so it appears that directionally we are correct, purple and gold trim. The big question would be, what is the crest going to be? And um, I've sort of offered up a couple different looks there. Is it going to be right. a crown, purple and gold crown? I call it the 67 crown. Um, mm -hmm. Or is it going to be the reverse retro uh, a Gretzky era logo. And if they do that, would it be in white like it was last year on the purple jersey? Or would they reverse it right, out right. and would they do it in purple? Uh, th that really would be the question. I personally, if you go to the article on mayorsmanner.com and search reverse retro, you'll find the article. I personally, Dennis, like the one that has the, I'm going to call it this, um, the vintage home plate logo. Uh, so it, it's, it's never been used on a King's jersey before, but it was okay. a mark that they used it's the purple and gold 
it's in the same shape what people call the new king's jersey the current king's jersey the home plate mm-hmm. logo it's in that same shape if you will they used it back in 67 never on a jersey but they used it so what okay. i like about it db is that it it basically it's I like the retro aspect of it. When you think about the current jersey and you're like, hey, do the current jersey and kind of like a purple and gold, you know, white motif. Right. And then retro, the home plate thing. uh, It's pretty cool. Now, I'm not saying they're going to use it, but I think it's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. So uh, that's what's going on there. One other little bit of jersey news, Dennis, uh, and that is that the alternate jersey, which, again, for everybody, that's the white and silver jersey with the Gretzky logo that debuted last year. That is currently the Kings third jersey because they retired the silver jersey. We went through all of this last year, DB, so yeah. people should be up to speed on this. <laughs> but should. that alternate jersey, uh, that is going to be worn on opening night this year. So when the Kings take on really? Vegas, and now they're scuttlebutt, that is going to be the Chrome Dome versus the Gold Dome. Oh, if Vegas, boy. If Vegas brings... Bring your sunglasses. Exactly. If Vegas, Vegas brings their kit. So we'll see yeah. how that plays out. More on that in the uh, weeks ahead. Bring your sunglasses, but not white sunglasses. That is very true, Dennis. Do not bring your white sunglasses. And if you do, please don't come by the elevators and say hi, because we don't want to see you. Uh, Run them out of the building. Exactly. Do not show up in your mandals or your manpreys or your (laughs) V-neck t-shirts, your white sunglasses. What else, Dennis? Uh, There's a long list. There's a long long list. list, It gets longer every day. (laughs) It's so true. It really does. No bedazzled jeans. Yes, it's a whole whole thing. A couple of other quick notes, and then we need to get to this true-false, because the fans have... uh, they, they, they've written to us on Twitter and they, they want yep. our response to these questions. So um, from what I understand, the festival is coming back this year, Dennis, which is uh, it's the latest and greatest version of Tippeking, which has kind of been on hiatus uh, uh, the mm-hmm. last couple of years, of course, because of the pandemic. But COVID, the festival yeah. is coming back. So be on the lookout for that. The Kings will hopefully announce that uh, uh, relatively soon. And this isn't really for everybody, but I just wanted to make sure that people are aware of it. There's a swanky event that's taking place on October 8th, exclusive, you know, kind of deal. Um, it's going to be called Hockeywood, and there's only going to be a couple hundred people. It's largely for sponsors and like big donors mm-hmm. to uh, 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 King's Care. Uh, they're looking to raise a, a pretty big number, uh, several hundred thousand dollars from what I understand. They're going to get some great PR off of this, though. There's going to be celebrities there and a DJ, and the team will be there. It's not an autograph event. It's not like the festival. Right, right, it's not right. like Tippa King. It's not one of those type of fan-oriented events. Um, they're going to also show off the Chairman's Club, the newly renovated Chairman's Club. So it's kind of a real swanky deal, kind of an invite-only uh, uh, type thing. Uh, that's going down on October 8th. So we'll uh, we'll have some more news about that or coming out of that as the uh, as, as time wears on. So any reaction there, Dennis, to either the swanky event, uh, very bougie, of course, uh, of course, or 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 to the uh, the jerseys or the helmets or anything at all. I I like the that 67. I, I think you had a rendering the 67 gold purple and gold crown. Yes. On the watch. I, I really like that. I, I think that pops. That That's the one I like. Um, okay. So I saw that on, on Mayor's Matter. That's the one I really like. Um, okay. The, the, the bougie event. Oh, look, I have privilege. So, you know, I, I always like a bougie event, John. <laughs> yes. No, guy. Yes. No doubt Nobody I have likes privilege. bougie quite like you. No, no, John. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was bougie until I met Dennis Bernstein. Until I realized I was not. What it is, exactly. (laughs) You look it up in Urban Dictionary, it's a picture of me waving. Exactly. Hey, when when your favorite beer is PBR, I think you're more punk rock than bougie. Amen. uh, There, there, that's that's me. Still good. 
Um, okay, let's let's get to this, Dennis. We had a lot yes. of people. Thank you to everybody on Twitter who joined in. We for those that are new to this uh, segment here, uh, Boomer Gordon uh, on NHL Network Radio uh, for the second summer in a row. He did a true false. Uh, segment with Jake there, the producer on that show that was more like NHL related. And so we we answered those same true false questions over the summer with our input. And then people wanted us to do L.A. Kings true false questions. And so we had a couple uh, on the last program as just sort of a tease. Um, so let's get after a couple of them here. Uh, here you go, Dennis. True, true, false. Uh, Phil Deneau can be a Selkie candidate. True. He already yeah, is. I, I mean, yeah, to me, that would be true. Uh, true or false? Sean Dersey will get reps on power play one this season. Um, only if Drew Dowdy's injured. Yeah, I would say false, and I don't false. think that anybody should be hoping for that. Actually, for the reason right. you just said, if Sean Dersey is getting PP one time, I don't know what Jim Hiller's doing because he's constructed a power play that. Ha- well, if Dowdy's healthy, I should say I don't know what he's doing because he will have constructed a power play with uh, two defensemen, you know, on it, yes. and that's you know I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I say that's false. Uh, next one here, true false. Gabe Velarde, this you'll love this one, DB. Gabe Velarde is an LA King still by the end of the season. True. Really, you're going true. Fascinating. Well, I. What's End of the season, back? Dennis. We're talking April of next year. Gabe Velarde yeah. is still on the LA Kings roster. Here's the problem, John. It's not just for Gabe Velarde. If you take Quentin Byfield out of the consideration, who's the cornerstone player that you would make a trade from this from this organization? Well, that would get Brent you a Clark legitimate is the player. Other player. Are you talking yeah. forward? I'm just talking just in general. So they have one. They have one big chip to make a big trade. So to, to the answer of the true-false question, yeah, true. I, I think that he's not going to get waived, right, because that's bad at asset management. I think he's here, and it's it's past go time for Gabe, but I, I don't see him moving on. What if they revisit the Jacob Chikrin trade, which, of course, we're tired of talking about. It feels like it's been forever. But what if they revisit that trade uh, with Arizona, Gabe Velarde potentially in that package? Well, Gabe's not – if Gabe's at the top of the, the, the offer – then they're not getting Jacob Schicker. It's package, package, Dennis. I said package, yeah, part of the package. Yeah, but but, but, but the, I understand that, John, but it's there's not enough. Like If it's Brent Clark and Velarde and – You're not trading Brent Clark. Okay, then then there's no trade. It, it can't okay. – can, unless it's Gabe Velarde and first four, four first-round picks, John, then maybe we're having a different conversation. <laughs> okay. Stop it. But, this is not Xbox. But, but, I, but, but I'm saying that, that there's not really like – I'm having trouble identifying the cornerstone young talent that would get you a chicken or whoever you want to put in a trade that would be a difference maker for this team. I think that's a, so, a challenge right now. So I want to paraphrase your words so that I can box you into a corner on this one politely. Go what ahead. you're saying is uh, if Jacob Chikrin is moved this season, don't look for the LA Kings to be in on it because you don't see the package that the Kings could put together. If Byfield and Clark are off the table, which they are, mm-hmm. if Byfield and Clark are off the table, you don't see the Kings having the assets to put together to pull that trade off. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, they would have to blow up their draft capital, John. Let's put it that way. Because I don't think that the assets they have in-house are enough to get Jacob Chicken. Somebody's going to have to have a, have a breakthrough season. And if Gabe scores 20 goals in halfway through the season and then you want to trade him for Jacob Chicken, you're probably not going to make that trade. So, uh, again, I just don't – it's not – you'd have to blow up your draft capital, which – this organization's conservative, and I just don't see happening. Okay, so there you go. Uh, plus, they already traded a first-round pick yep. this year. 
Uh, yep, so yeah. Fiala. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have in here? We have some more. Uh, true false. The king. I guess this ties perfectly to what I just said. True false. The Kings look to upgrade at left D at or before the trade deadline. Uh, true, but it would be at the deadline. It would be at game 50 or whatever the trade deadline is. I, I think they're going to run what they have because I think they would have made the trade, John. If they don't believe that Sean Walker is a top four defenseman that can play on the left side, they would have made the trade. They would have swallowed hard and made the trade, and they didn't do that. They're going to go with what they have. Uh, it, we can explore. It depends where they sit at the trade deadline. Uh, so I think that's the earliest they can make that trade. And, and you've referred to this before, John. Maybe it's an off season. Maybe it's one season removed from making that move. Yeah, I think that uh, Sean Walker is likely to get moved. I would say it's greater than 50%. But to take a big swing, and that's the way that I interpret this, will the Kings look to upgrade at, at the, on the left side? To me, that's taking a big swing. I could see them doing a rental, uh, mm-hmm, you know, maybe yeah. someone better than a Troy Stetcher, but you know, I'm not talking yeah. Jacob Chikrin. So, I mean, that's a, right. there's a wide gap between, between those two players, right? But I think the Kings would, would look to do something on a rental basis at the trade deadline to quote unquote upgrade on the left side potentially, but from a long term commitment standpoint, yeah, I think it's it's more likely in the off season because I think you have to look at the uh, I, again just like the Chickering deal when they looked at it last year, you have to look at the economics of it and how can you make it work both short, mid, and long term uh, if you're truly upgrading. So that's where mm-hmm. we're at. Okay, moving on. Uh, true, false. Sean Dersey will be trade bait this season or next off season. Uh, well. There's a reason they signed him for a two-year deal, right? So I would think it would be the offseason. It depends how it plays out. But it's it's up for grants because if Grant Clark's going to be there and Matt Roy are not trading and Drew's not going anywhere, that there's only – unless you have a new scheme, John, where you're going to have uh, five right-handed defensemen and two left-handed defensemen playing – that's, or on the roster, it's it, there's there's no and if Grons makes strides. I was just gonna say when you were done, Jordan Spence and Grons need to Jordan be mixed Smith, into this conversation too. Somebody's have somebody has to go, it, not not yet. But so to answer the question, a true with the qualifier that it, it's probably next summer, not in season right now. Yeah, I I would agree with you, Dennis. I don't I don't think that you have to make the decision on any of those players because right. you also have waivers that come into this. So how long mm-hmm. can you stash some talent, Jordan Spence, Grons? How long can you stash them in the American League? Let them continue to develop to really truly understand what yeah. you have. Um, that plays into this as well. And again, also the economics of it, Dennis. You have Jersey signed to a very mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, team friendly deal, or deal. you know it's a deal that works for both. Uh, from what I understand, both sides were very happy you know, with the deal at 1.7. But, you know, if you trade 1.7 away and then replace him with a Spence or a Grands who are, you know, let's say making 900,000, how much did you really save? Sure, in a tight cap team, uh, on a tight uh, tight cap team, you did save. Uh, you know, anywhere from six to $800,000, let's say. And that can be helpful when you're up against the cap. Uh, but usually when you're a cap team, you're not looking to trade the guy that's making $1.7 million <laughs> to create money. So right. I think they've delayed that, right. that answer um, for probably 18 months. Uh, okay, true, false. One of Ayafalo or Ardvidsen uh, will be used at the trade deadline to upgrade, upgrade on lefty. False. Yeah, I thought false on this one too, Dennis, and we sort of covered it earlier, and that is that how do you put a package together, right? Like, 
I mean, Ayafala would have to have a career year, and he's going to be playing mostly on the third line. He'd have to have a career a, right. a, a career year to have someone take a look at that $4 million and go, yeah, we want to sign up for that for a little while. And, you know, he has several years left on that deal. I don't see Ardvidsson as getting moved. He's one of those players that brings unique skills to the table that they can't easily replace within the system. Usually when you're trading somebody, you, you have that replacement. You have that backup in your pipeline. They don't have Victor Ardvidsson, at least as well as I'm right. aware. So that's not the player you'd look to move. And he's, his cap hits under $5 million. If, if he's going to give you 25, if he was healthy all season, he would have give you 25 goals. That's a value contract. So I don't, I don't see. So for the reason you mentioned, for that value contract, and if I follows a trade bait and he's going to be the top of the deal, he's going to be having a great season. Why would you take him off the third line? Because you'd need three lines to produce now. It's not like the old school where you have a top six and a bottom six. The really good teams, John, they have a top nine and a bottom three. Well, I also want to keep using this term, and so I'd like people to commit it to memory, and that is that I follow. The I stands for insurance. He's the insurance policy. If something yeah. goes wrong in the top six. I'm not saying you're wrong. It's an and, Dennis. Yes. And on top of them needing to have three lines and not two, uh, and they also need insurance, yeah, and he's the one veteran player that they have outside yep. of their top six. Uh, let's keep moving along here. We have uh, more true-false questions. Here's one. True or false? Jonathan Quick gets traded at the trade deadline. Dennis, I'm just false. Just stop it. Yeah. If he gets traded at the trade deadline, then they're out of the playoffs, and it's I – I won't finish the sentence. Dennis, even if they're out of the playoffs, you're not trading Jonathan Quick. You don't want that. Rob Blake does not want that stain on his record. You're better off just letting it play out till the end of the season. And if Jonathan Quick, then as an unrestricted free agent, was to choose to continue to play his career, it wasn't Rob Blake that traded him away. Right? Why do you need to trade Jonathan Quick? Why, if you're out of the playoffs, would you need to trade Jonathan Quick? What are you getting in return for a 36-year-old goaltender You know, with all of those miles, even though I'm a big believer that Jonathan Quick can still win you playoff games, as anybody who's ever listened to this podcast knows, I just don't see uh, general manager Rob Blake making that trade. I would personally be surprised. Dennis, I'll even go so far as to say the only way that deal would happen is if Jonathan Quick requested a trade. Right. Agreed. All right. True or false? We already covered this. Velarde is traded at the deadline. Uh, Next one. True or false? Bret Hart is the best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. That's absolutely false. I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, (laughs) Shawn Michaels can trump that right there, but we could get into Kenny Omega and a bunch of other people. Dennis, uh, Ric Flair. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, True or false? Dennis, did you have anything to respond to that? You want to give us a a Dick Murdoch uh, reference or... Dirty Dick Slater. How about that? Oh, Dick so. Slater. Yes. Nick Bockwinkle. Yes. For those of you that don't know the story, Dennis and I used to swap uh, wrestling stories and uh, uh, Dennis had spent some time. I was I believe it was in Florida, right? Where you kind of yeah, came from. So, so one of these uh, way, way back in the day, early in our relationship uh, to really, I, I don't know, to, to impress Dennis, to wow him, to, you know, <laughs> uh, make him chuckle. I don't know what you would call it, but uh, you know, to it's it, like, it's better than a chirp. I was like, watch this. And I didn't tell him. I just surprised him. I went out and found Nick Bockwinkle, who was impossible to get a hold of. Uh, but Nick Bockwinkle left me, the God rest his soul, but he left me the greatest yeah. voicemail I've ever received, where he, he basically called me and told me that he heard that I was looking to get a hold of him to do an interview. He gave me his home telephone number and then threatened my life and told me, much like Matt Green, uh, told me that if I ever gave his number out, that he would personally find me and kill me. 
which was fantastic. And of course, I did the yeah. Nick uh, Bockwinkle interview and posted that. And uh, Dennis, you yeah. got a big, a big laugh. I did. That. So, that was great. That was great. Uh, that's my that's my Nick Bockwinkle story. We just lost half the audience. They have no idea who Nick okay. Bockwinkle is. Go look it up, kids. It's 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 well worth your time. Uh, true false. Byfield gets to twenty goals this season. True. Dennis Bernstein going with true. Oh, I love it. He, Look at he has to, to get go. the 20, John. Go ahead. I'm going to go false, and I'm going to say he's going to come one goal short. He's going to have oh, 19 goals. Hater. So you can rack this audio, Dennis, and we will get <laughs> yes. back to it in April. That uh, one got to rack. 20 <laughs> versus 19. Here we go. Uh, true, false. It will take over 100 points to finish top three in the Pacific. I say true. Yeah, 99. Well, yes, true. Agreed. Yeah, 99 is not 100, Dennis. So are you, no, you going with that? had 99 last year. And if you okay. think that, yeah. All right. Yeah, if you think uh, Vancouver's better, yeah. Go ahead. Related question, true, false. You'll take 100 points to make the playoffs in the West. I said no. But it, to be top three in the Pacific would take 100 points. Yes, agreed. Okay, true, false. Does Cal Peterson have a big bounce back year? Dennis, I already know I what you're going to say. He better. <laughs> That's the type of answer you would give. I don't know what big bounce back season is, John, because you look, you look at this team. And I wrote, you set I the think bar I wrote too low team. last year. So, yeah, so yeah exactly. <laughs> 890 low. Uh, they were 19th in safer. John, I say this again. When you look at this team statistically, it was a miracle they made the playoffs. They were plus three goal differential. They were in the 20s in their special teams. The save percentage was 19th overall. But yes, the reason 30, 32nd in the league in okay. shooting percentage. <laughs> yeah, shoot, yeah, last in shooting percentage. But they they were they had great shot suppression. The only team that gave up less shots than them was Carolina. So yes, Cal might have been saved from a worse fate if they weren't that good defensively and, and shot suppression. So I don't know what a big bounce back season is. I, I think if he has a nine ten save percentage this year, if he, if he can. If he can come close to quick statistics, I think that's a win for this team. And then you deal with it in the offseason. But you can't – here's what you can't have. You can't have the same performance of last season. I don't know what happened, and we haven't talked to him yet, if it was a crisis of confidence or whatever, but you can't put up those numbers this season with that contract. Dennis, I wish people could see my face. I'm cracking up laughing while you're talking because this is the worst segment of true-false ever because both of us have a lot to say about each of these yeah. questions. Uh, yeah. It is not a we, – we, we, would, we would fail if this was a game show. This is not rapid fire, uh, and that's not a criticism of you. It's, it's okay. a criticism of both of us. Uh, true, uh, But, you know, people want to hear. So uh, true-false, Alex Iafalo has <laughs> – here's another bounce back. How funny. Uh, true, Alex Iafalo has a bounce back – season and sets career highs in goals and assists his career high allegedly is 17 goals 26 assists does he have a career year or a bounce back season slash career year true or false that he does that i don't think he's going much north of what he had last season so false yeah, I say false as well because, Dennis, I think getting more than 17 goals on that line is going to be difficult because I think yeah. it's more likely that Kaliev has a big year on the third line um, more than Ayafalo. And I just think back to the way that Ayafalo plays the game when he's effective and efficient and how he can be effective and efficient on that third line as the guy who goes in and retrieves the pucks and QBs making plays and getting the puck to Artie like we talked about earlier in the show. I think 34 uh, can score more than 17 goals this year. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if Iofalo could get there. And remember, he's not going to be getting power play time. Uh, or I shouldn't say but, that. He most likely is not going to get a right. lot of power play time. 
But that said, if you get 17 and 20 in the third line, you got a good offense this season. Oh, God, if he gets 17 yeah. and 25 uh, there on the third line, I mean, throw him a parade, uh, you know, right. or throw him a surf party or whatever. Uh, <laughs> all right, next one. True, false. Kings make it past the first round in the playoffs. I'm saying true. Nah, I'll say true. Okay. Kings re- uh, reverse retro will be beautiful. True. True. Kings make a huge trade deadline move. False. Well, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I really Dennis, wish. they went out and picked up Fiala. Come on. Look at look at what this team has done over the last two summers. Come on. Uh Byfield will eclipse 40 points. Well, he's gonna score 20. He better get 20 assists. So true. Okay. Uh I'm gonna go true on that. I'll give him a couple more assists off those 19 goals. Uh, Rob Blake will win GM of the season. I say false because the Kings won't win the cup or be in the cup final. So I'm going to say false. Agreed. False. Okay. But he does a fabulous job on these contracts, DB. What a, what a great job he's done mm-hmm. over the last couple of years with some of these contracts. Uh, the Kings will change their primary color scheme or logo within the next two to four years. My God, people, you guys are like, now you want us to project things out four years. Will they change their color scheme over the next four years? Sure. True. Why not? They're going to go to rainbows, everybody. Uh, Dennis, I'm not even going to make you answer that question. Or do no, you want I would to? defer to you anywhere. No, no. You, you would, <laughs> if anybody would know, John, it would be you. So I'm going to defer to you. Whatever you say, I'm going to agree. <laughs> okay. For once. I'm in charge of that. Thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, crypto will play more metal and punk music. Well, uh, here, I'm going to borrow a Dennis Bernstein line. They better because <laughs> that's all I can say. They better. Uh, Kings will win their third cup before the Ducks win their second. I think that's true. Wow, Dennis, you're having to think about this. Uh, yeah. You said true? Yeah, ducks are far away. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. The ducks are okay. far away. You, you were pondering you it there. Well, I, now I have I was, to ask, I what, were you, what were you thinking? Were you like going well, through their the, roster? The, what were you thinking? Yeah, I was going through like, I, I don't know what's going to take to get to the Kings to the elite status. Like that. that's like when I see Colorado and I see Florida and I see Tampa, I'm like, it, to me, and I think the team will progress, but how? what's the steps they need to take to get to that? And, again, it goes back to the core. When you think of Colorado, they've got McCarr, Byram, McKinnon, Landeskog. And the problem is, like, John, I, we can talk about it. Like, who's the Kings' core? I'm going to answer like, your question. That's going to win the championship. Go ahead. Not, not, not the last question, which is who, mm-hmm. who is the Kings' core, but I'm going to answer the question. What do the Kings need to become a Stanley Cup contender? They need for their core group, or I'll say it differently, they need for their younger players to take yeah. the next step. And right. that's Quentin Byfield. That's Arthur Kaliev. That's Sean Dursey. That's Brant Clark. Uh, that's Toby Bjornfoot. It, it, it's Jordan Spence. It's all of those players. It could be Gabe Velarde and Fagamo as well, and it could be a couple of other kids, right? But they need, they need more. They don't need more from Phil Deneau. They don't need more from Kempe. They don't no. need more from Kopitar, right? I mean, we could say that they do need more. You don't need regression. They won't get more from those guys. Yeah, okay, but you don't right. need regression from right. those players. But what you need Correct. is you need more from within because they cannot continue, back to the earlier comments, they can't continue to spend assets to go out and fill those holes. So when you look at the core, uh, sure, Colorado made a ton of trades, but Colorado also was built 
within their own system from their core, their players, right? And then they augmented mm -hmm. that through a series of trades. The Kings have now augmented their prospect pool with all of these trades by adding Dano, by adding Kevin Fiala, by adding Victor Arvidsson. And they probably will continue when they eventually import, you know, another player or two. But you can't, you can't buy a Stanley Cup. So they're going to need their system to, to, to rise up and to become that next group of Toffoli's that next group of Drew Doughty's, Dustin Brown's, Kopitar's, and you don't have, they all don't have to be superstars, Dennis, but they do have to elevate from where they are. Kaliev has to be a top six player. They're, 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 there's one specific thing I'll tell you. Agreed. Okay. Uh, true, false. Uh, Fiala is the leading goal scorer. True or false? True. I'm going to say true. I'm going to say true too as well. All right. Uh, Jordan Spence finds himself in the lineup towards the end of the season. True or false? True. I'm going to say true too. Uh, Cal Peterson has more wins than Jonathan Quick at season's end. This is a tough one, Dennis. False. I think they tied. Oh, I'm going to say true. I said Quentin Byfield was going to fall one short uh, of, of 20. I'm going to say that Cal outpaces Quick by one win. So there, there you go. Uh, you're riding the fence, Dennis, and I'm just a half a step yeah. to the right of you. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> neither one of us are living on the edge. Uh, the Kings will wear the chrome domes more. Mm, I don't really know how many. They wore them, what, 14 games last year, was it? Yeah, something like that. I don't think no. it'll be a noticeably, I mean, it could be true, but it would be like by one or two. It's yeah, not like right. they're going to wear them for 60 games. You, you remember, they have reverse <laughs> retro to wear, plus you have the home and road issue. Um, so I, I, you know, I'll say, uh, true or false quick starts more games than Peterson. I say false. Um, uh, true, true, false. Matt green appears on the podcast before the season ends. Obviously you're a newbie and you don't listen to this podcast. The answer no to that is effing chance. <laughs> exactly the answer no effing chance, not false. No <laughs> effing chance. Exactly. Yeah, here, here, let me text Matt Green right now and find out yeah, when he's available. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> our longtime listeners are loving this. Uh, newbies are like, what is so funny? Uh, true or false? The 22-23 LA Kings are a 100-point team by the end of the season. True. True. We both said it. Akil Thomas has a huge AHL year and makes a push for the Kings. True, false? False. Okay. I'm going to say false, but here's what I want to, here's, it's here's a two part why. question though. Okay. But here's why I want people to understand the type of player that Akil Thomas is. I think that Akil Thomas is going to wear a letter for the Ontario rain this year. I think Akil Thomas is going to be given every opportunity to find success in the American league. Akil Thomas is most likely not going to be a top six forward in the NHL. So when right. you ask the question, he's going to have a huge year that typically implies a huge year statistically, meaning goals and assists. I think he yeah. could have a huge year. I think he could be very important to the success of the Ontario rain at the American league level but it won't show up in the traditional fantasy hockey goals and assists. He's a high character guy who has an engine who plays, who plays with grit. We talked earlier about Victor Arvidsson being kind of unique and what he brings to the team. I do think that. A in something rather unique. So I think he's going to have a huge year, but it's not by the standards that probably were intended the way this question um, was asked because he was, he was a hundred point player in the Ontario hockey league. And uh, I, I think he's not Trevor Lewis, but think Trevor Lewis. And what I mean by that is this right. DB. I always point to this when they were in Owen sound together, Trevor Lewis outscored Bobby Ryan one year in the OHL. <laughs> 
right? I mean, come on. You think about their NHL careers. Those are two entirely different players. One is offensively minded. One is more defensive oriented. And, uh, and there's no slight on Trevor Lewis, right? I mean, the sure. guy won cups and everything. I just think the same thing about Akil Thomas. He's, you can't look at the type of player he was in the OHL and think that he's going to be a top six forward in the NHL. Uh, next up, Dennis. True, false. Ke- uh, Kevin Fiala will score 90 or more points. True. I'm going to say true, and this could be his high water mark of his career with the LA Kings, because I think that he will adapt his style of play as we move forward. But I think this year, um, I think that he's out to prove something, and I think that's why he'll put up 90 or more points. That's that's my reasoning for true. Uh, true, false. The Kings will finish with. Well, we already did that. Uh, Byfield will score 20 more. We already did that. Uh, uh, true, false. I love this. Very intelligent question. Byfield will show, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, Byfield will show progress and get double digits and goals. It was very, it was very well worded there, Dennis. True. Yeah, we already said true. Oh, well, I mean, I said 19, you said 20. So yeah, uh, true, false, Velarde has moved. No, we already covered this. Uh, true, false, Kempe matches last season's goal totals. Oof. False. <sighs> false. I'm going to say false. You, yeah. what do you, I, I was saying 33. What do you say? Uh, if he gets to 30, it's a win. Ooh, uh, true, false. Kopitar no longer finishes. This, oh, we already said that as the leading goal scorer. Uh, Kopitar lead the Kings. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, sorry. Uh, oh, this is a random one. Uh, true, false. Kevin Fiala will still be on Kopitar's wing on December thirty first. True. I, I say true too. But hey, Dennis. Speaking of New Year's Eve, you want some breaking news that I didn't give you earlier? Yes, please. From what I understand. Reverse retro jersey will be worn on New Year's Eve. So there you go. Oof. Kings, New Year's Eve, reverse retro. I just gave you the first one. Damn, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Uh, true, <laughs> false. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting a text tomorrow, Dennis. Uh, true, yeah. false. The Kings power play, will, come on, people, will crack the top 10. False. Uh, Jim Hiller is going to, he's never coming on the podcast, Dennis. I'm going to say true just in so we can get Jim Hiller on the show. Okay. But, but, but secretly that's a really tough ask to get into the top 10 on the power play. Uh, Cal Peterson will get more start. We already did that one. Uh, Peterson save. Oh, here's one. Dennis Peterson save percentage will be over nine, 10 true false. It'll be nine, 10 false. (laughs) Um, Okay, I, I'm going to let you answer this one because you're going to love this one. I, you know what? I, we shouldn't even say it on the air. Uh, true, false. Kopitar wears an A on February 11th. Oh, I'm, I think he's talking about the Dustin Brown game. I was Dustin Brown thing. Uh, yes, nobody will wear the C uh, the night that Dustin Brown's jersey is retired. That would be my guess. Mm, I think Kopitar will wear the C. Yeah, wear the C. Okay. Cares. Uh, yeah. That's a weird question, but okay. Uh, not a weird answer, just a weird question. Uh, Arvidsson cracks the 30-goal mark this season. True, false. Plan the parade if he does. Yeah. Um, hmm. That line was magic, Dennis. I think it all comes down to when he returns. If he returns on November 1st, he'll have plenty of runway to do it. If he returns, hypothetically, December 1st, I say no because he doesn't have enough games right. played to do it. Okay. Right. Uh, true, false. Jonathan Quick is the starting goalie by the end of the season. Uh I'm going to say false, but I'll also tell you that Todd's going to tell you that he has a 1A and a 1B, and there isn't a number one. So how do you answer the question, Dennis? I think um, I'll say true. He will still be the starter. I loved this question because I have no idea why it was asked. It seemed to come completely out of thin air, which means either it is out of thin air or this person knows something that we don't. 
true false bob miller will be back to call at least one home game false yeah He's false I, but i'll tell you what uh favorite that tweet and let's come back to it if that ends up happening that would be fantastic uh true false uh Taylor Ward will eventually crack the LA Kings lineup. Look, uh, that's, I have no idea. The guy's played a handful of games in the American League. Very intriguing player at the rookie tournament. Um, I would project him as more of a long-term prospect, although it's interesting because Sean Walker came through that, you know, as kind of a UFA, went to the AHL, eventually earned an NHL contract. Um, fascinating. I don't know. Uh, I'll spare you the answer, Dennis. True, false. One of Fagamo or Chromiak makes the opening night roster with Arvidsson on IR, we covered that earlier, Dennis. Um, I say false. I just don't, don't see how the see math it. works. No. Yeah. Agreed. False. Uh, true. False. Toby spends three plus months in the American League. Mm. I'm going to say true just because, I mean, you have to find a place to move Sean Walker to in order to let him come up. Well, I'll health, say- of course. I'll say false because I'm not sure, like, how many games that Alex Edler is going to play. Okay, DB, just a couple more here. We'll wrap this up. I know it's a long episode, but we want to give credit to all of our fans who uh, sent these questions in. Uh, True, false. Power play one will score more goals this season than last season. True. I would say true as well. Thank you, Jim Hiller. Uh, next one, true, false. I have follow Byfield Kaliev becomes the best Kings third line since 2014. I love the fact that they referenced also during the playoffs, that was William Stoll and Dwight King. Uh, I'm going to say true, Dennis, that this this line does have the potential to be the best third line since 2014. I agree. And the keyword's potential. So, yes, true. Okay. Uh, true, false. Velarde has a regular shift. I guess that means in the NHL, so I'm going to say true. False. False. Um, okay. I don't see where, where where's the spot? Well, earlier you said they're not sending him to the AHL on waivers. So if he's not going to get a regular spot, what are you saying? He's going to be on the he's bench extra all year? All year. Okay. Whose spot is he taking? Uh Victor Arvidson while he's injured. I don't know. Here we go. Uh true false. King's management will be fired if the Kings fail to reach the playoffs this season. Uh, no, that's not happening. Didn't you report the general manager got an extension? <laughs> yes, I did, actually. Oh, well, <laughs> Multi, then, okay. Dude. Multi-year extension. Exactly. Well, there you go. Okay. Here's your answer. <laughs> uh, true, false. Brant Clark is the Kings' number one defenseman in three years, Dennis. True. Yeah, true. I mean, come on. True. I don't know there what's going to happen three days from now. You're going to ask me three years from now. But sure. <laughs> All right. And we're going we're gonna to end on this one. But it's actually, no, we're not, Dennis. It's about the Kings putting a package together for a lefty. So there you go. We went through the entire list of Twitter true-false questions. Dennis, give yourself a Red Bull. We made it through a very long episode. Uh, (laughs) Thank you to Nate Thompson for coming on and joining the program. Best of luck to him and his efforts to uh, uh, sign on with another NHL team here uh, during his PTO and training camp. And uh, Dennis, we'll have more, more coverage from LA Kings training camp. And you are going up to San Jose. You're back on the road again for the first preseason game of the year. Yeah, I'm going as a civilian, though. I'm going with my uh, son and daughter-in-law. Uh, so I'll be in the, probably in the sixth row behind, I think, where the Kings shoot twice. So we're going to go up to San Jose and spend a weekend there and catch the Kings' first preseason game in San Jose. All right, so you enjoy your trip. Safe travels. We'll catch up again next week. We'll compare notes on preseason, on training camp, on injuries. 
and all the other nonsense that happens between now and then. Thank you, everybody. Have a great weekend. There'll be better days when the sun gets into you and the shadows of your heart. There'll be better days when my love will find you even though we're miles apart. Like an airplane as the world fades out and there's a new world yet to come. And all your pain will release at night into the arms of the chosen one. If you're lost, I'll find you there with the sunlight in your hair. And the sadness washed away by the rain Just the feeling And there'll be better waves That begin to echo Through the wasteland of your mind Through the Milky Way Oh, my love will hold you Hope it gets you through the night Don't believe that it's a lie